We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, um, verse 21 through verse 26. And it's on page 684 if you're following along with the Pew Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. It says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're old like me, I want you to think back to school, your school days, and what is... Or what was your favorite subject in school? What was your favorite subject in school? Those of you who are currently in school, as hard as this may be, imagine what might be your favorite subject. And recess does not count. Lunch does not count. Maybe not even gym. You got to dig deep here for this answer, I'm sure. My, one of my favorite classes growing up was I liked math. Now, I didn't like math when we got into, like, imaginary numbers. Like that weird... Imaginary numbers seems like something somebody just made up to make it all work out. But, like, basic algebra, I really, really love basic algebra. And I like it in part because I I like how it's, it's clear. You just follow the steps, and if you follow the steps the right way, likely you're going to get to the right answer. And, and I like the algebra part where we start dealing with the parentheses. And it's like, all right, how do I, what do I do first? And how do I work through this? And Mark Rector, our more academic um, associate minister this week, I was telling him about this thing. He said, oh, yeah, PEMDAS. And I looked at him like he had said some word that meant nothing to me. Apparently, in, in more recent days, PEMDAS, think about it with me, Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. I made it through it. Yeah. But like, if you have that word PEMDAS in your head, or that acronym, I guess it's not a word, then it helps you kind of think through, all right, what's first? And then you kind of work your way through that. And if you do that well enough, and if you kind of follow the rules, then you're going to get there to the right answer. And I like math in part because it's just black and white. Like if the teacher is grading it, either it is right or it is wrong. But English and literature, you know, you turn an essay in and the teacher's like, this is is trash. And you say, well, my mom loved it. (laughs) Right? Like who are you to say it wasn't good? Right? But, But math is just black and white. It's right or wrong. Follow the steps follow the order of operations, and you can likely get to the right answer. And we do this in a lot of areas in our lives where we prioritize 
We know what ought to come first, and then we work our way down. For example, imagine, imagine that your daughter's getting married, and your favorite team is playing in the national championship. I mean, you know what's more important. Some of you are like, I'm praying about that currently. I was at a wedding this, this fall where one team in the state, I won't mention it in case it gets you out of the mood of worship, one team in the state was playing like a big game. If they won it, they might be in. If they lost it, they're going to be out. And I was at the wedding, and there were people doing this number, right? Sometimes it's hard to know what's most important. But usually, like if someone's getting married, we know that that's more important than whatever our game is, maybe. A death. Death kind of trumps everything. There's a funeral, someone close to you. Like, you're going to show up to that. That's really important for you to be a part of and participate in. There's just certain things that, that you know um, are important for you. Valentine's Day is coming up. Don't forget. Um, if you want to join the Splon household, we'll be at Waffle House somewhere. So it's really romantic. Our whole family goes. But, you know, like, that should take priority. Get you a gift this week. We, we know how this works. And when Jesus came into the world... And he did his ministry and especially his teaching. He started challenging things that everybody thought they knew were most important. And he started reorienting, okay, what really is of first importance and what is secondary? And last week we looked at, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, in the Sabbath. That, that they had this mindset that Sabbath observance not working was primary even to the point when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, they were all like really stressed out because they were like, that's work, you can't do that. And Jesus comes back in and reminds us and says, no, 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 um, you would get an animal out of the ditch on the Sabbath because that would take priority. How much more would we care for people made in God's image on the Sabbath? And so he's reorienting us to what's important and what matters. And here in Matthew 5, he starts working through what it might look like in reference to some commandments from the Old Testament. And today, in our passage, he says, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder. Quick survey. Everybody think murder's wrong? Man, I feel so much better about being with you. Yeah, like that's a no-brainer. Like if you went into your Sunday school class and teacher's like, hey, let's just take a straw poll. We feel good about murder or not? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, murder is terrible. We should not do that. And Jesus says, well, that's true. Uh, Jesus was also against murdering. But then Jesus takes it a step farther, and he starts to expand the intent that God had in giving the law. And he says, but I say to you, whoever is what? Angry. Whoever is angry. Now, I want you to think back to this past week, and have you been angry in the past week? Could be that you were angry with somebody that you work with. Could be that you were angry with someone in traffic. I feel like that's one of those that just takes out a huge swath of the population. As you're like driving around, other people are not as adept at driving as you are. And you run into them on the road. Maybe not literally, but maybe you're close. And you're just like, Ugh! and anger just pours out of you. 
It could even be that you've been angry with someone sitting on your pew this past week. Right? It just kind of keeps lurking in. And, and there is this, this truth that, that you and I, we run into things, we run into other people who, who don't see things as we see them, who can't get their act together and be as good as we are at fill in the blank, then usually this, this emotion or this response of anger wells up in us. And then Jesus starts saying, well, you know, if you start using derogatory terms, and, and really it's not so much that you would go in there and like see a, maybe an escalating level of of anger or insult. But, but generally speaking, if you insult other people and speak poorly of them, Jesus has got you in his sights. Okay? I was even, um, I'm a recovering legalist, and, and growing up, I was even like, as long as I don't say fool, I'm good. Jesus is like, come on, come on, Wayne. The point is, saying something negative and derogatory against someone you're still liable to what? Judgment. Even Jesus would go so far as to say the hell's a fire, which gets everybody kind of like focused now. Right? And then he tells what I think are two parables in a way. He gives us two stories, two things for us to think about to help us get the concept. This fall, we're going to look, we're going to spend most of the fall working through parables which are just wonderful ways that Jesus taught and he kind of gets us to think about things and not so much black and white, kind of backdoor coming in with the truth. He says, imagine that you are there at the altar offering your gift. Now in Jesus' day, where would you have been if you were offering a gift on the altar? Where would you have been, you think? In Jerusalem, at the temple. It's kind of a big deal. And he's telling this likely in Galilee. So just think uh, Birmingham, Fort Payne or something. right? He's probably up north teaching this. And they had to travel a long ways down to the temple. We're like, this would have been a big deal for you. Jesus says, imagine that you're there at the temple. And you're offering your gift there on the altar. And what happens? You remember. Wait a minute. This person's got something against me. What does Jesus say you should do? Stop. And go and find that person and be reconciled and then come back. And in your mind, you could probably think, this is the most important thing that I could be doing. This is the first thing, the first importance, offering this, this gift on the altar. This has to be the thing that trumps all other things. And Jesus says, no. If somebody has something against you or you them, stop. Go find them and make it right. Here's an example. Imagine that you are, all the men in the room, look at that back door back there. Imagine you're standing back there and you got your daughter on your arm, getting ready to walk her down the aisle. Big occasion, right? You're there and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Somebody's got something against me. You find the wedding coordinator, hey, time out, I got, I'll be right back. Or maybe you think about, what would be another important occasion? Maybe your ordination as a deacon, maybe. You're like here and all your family's here and you're like, oh, this is going to be, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I got to step out for a few minutes. I'll be back. Just pause everything. 
And you and I, when we hear that, there's a part of us that we're like, well, that's kind of radical. Like, surely it can wait till later. Surely it's kind of, I'll take care of this and then I'll go do it. And Jesus, since he's given us these stories to think about, obviously knows human nature. And we're prone to do what? Put things off. I'm in that category. Mary must not be in here. She would have given an amen on that. Like, I'm prone to put things off that should have been done yesterday. And Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, this is of such importance that stop whatever this important thing is that you think you're doing and go be reconciled. And then the other example he gives is if you're on your way to court and the person that you're in the court battle against, go find them and be reconciled before the court date because if you don't, you might be found guilty and you'll be thrown into what? Prison. And so Jesus is saying, anger is just as unfit for someone in the kingdom of God as murder is. Speaking ill of other people is just as unfit in the kingdom of God as, as murder is. And why do you think Jesus is so insistent on this? Because you and I, we're just not really good at talking to other people about things, are we? In Matthew chapter 18, do you remember what Jesus gave us as kind of this order of operations if somebody's wronged us? What does he say in Matthew 18? First, go to that person alone and tell them what's, what's wrong. Notice Jesus doesn't say, find somebody and talk about that person. Which is usually what we're prone to do, aren't we? Like if I've got some beef with you, likely I'm going to find someone else and be like, man, can you believe that guy? And what are you going to say? Yeah, I know, he's terrible. Right? We're going to kind of get together and start piling up together and like just kind of affirm my sense of where I am in this. And for something to be so wrong... And for me to approach you about it and look you in the eye and say, hey, this ain't right between us. One, I think it humanizes the person that we're engaging with. Have you ever been in a, at a youth sports field? Good gracious. The things that we say about refs or... Kids playing. <laughs> Imagine that the changes if like they come off the field and they're like, "Excuse me, what did you say?" Especially if they're like six six and they weigh like four hundred pounds, right? Like yeah, nothing. Good job. Like in a way, making us go to each other and look each other in the eye and say, "Hey, we've got this issue," has a way of, of humanizing the person that we're talking to. And it also prevents kind of things of, of secondary importance of becoming a big deal. Because it's got to be a pretty big deal for me to pull you aside and talk to you about it. But as you're like sitting there looking at somebody in the eye and talking about the thing that you're working through, you also remember that this person is a human being with a story. And as I look around the congregation, like one of the gifts God's given me so far is to be able to work at only one church for a little over 14 years. And as I look out at the congregation, you're more than just faces to me. 
But I know that you've got like stories and things that you're working through. And as my um, counseling professor in seminary would say, I got issues, you got issues, all God's children got issues. And I know that I do, and I know that you do. And as God gives us this heart of compassion for each other, and we start to extend grace and mercy and kindness to each other, rather than allowing anger to well up, because it's not likely that anger is going to lead you to kill somebody. But I mean, like, we've heard stories of it, haven't we? Road rage? Like somebody getting so angry that they then act upon it, and it's probably not the case that you're going to do that. But, but we hopefully aspire to something more than just not murdering people. But this unity and this fellowship that's ultimately rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, in a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I just want you to think about yourself. How many of you feel worthy to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Just kind of in your own record this past week. And just think about things you've thought about, things you've done, things you've said. Like, I don't feel worthy to come to the Lord's table. And the only way that I celebrate and enjoy the gifts of God for the people of God is because God is so merciful and gracious and kind to me. He's abounding in steadfast love and mercy, and he is slow to anger. Praise God for that. He is slow to anger. And you and I, as we seek to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and bear witness to the norms and the values of the kingdom of heaven, have this real privilege and opportunity in our relationships with each other to be slow to anger and kind and merciful. And as we do that, I think we're going to be salt and light in the world and show people that there is a different and better way to live into this calling that God's placed on us in Jesus. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the depths of your love and your mercy and your grace that you've shown us in Jesus. And we thank you that it is your character to be merciful and gracious and kind to us. And with the Old and New Testament, we read this of you, that though we mess up time and time again, you are compassionate and merciful, you move toward us, you pursue us. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us that same heart for others in our lives. That we wouldn't be prone to anger, that we wouldn't be prone to saying things that we know aren't honoring to you or helpful to the person, Lord, that you would give us that heart to pursue unity that we might bear witness to the gospel of Jesus in our lives. Lord, Every person in this room, I'm guessing, we, we acknowledge our need and our help from you in this area. So we pray that you conform us more into the image of Jesus. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.